everyone, and welcome to another spooky edition of Films on Trial. This week, Crimson Peak. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. Joel. I'm Dave. I'm Austin. And just like Crimson Peak, whilst listening to this podcast, you should beware. Thank you. I thought off. that was going somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that, that is right like under 30 seconds. Under 30 seconds. Yeah. That's the tagline. Just beware. Be what am I supposed to do with that? Not you, man. You didn't. Not, for think... once, for once, it wasn't you, Gav. Oh, what? Did I, I miss, a, did I I miss said, a penis yeah. joke? Yeah, I'll yeah, tell you. you did. You did. Let's call it a penis joke, shall we? Right. I'm going to move swiftly on. Now, this week, uh, this week's film on trial is the 2015 gothic horror fantasy Crimson Peak. Is it Crimson Peak or is it Crimson Bottom? Oh, what the hell? <laughs> what? 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 Like, bottom is the opposite of Peak. What is it with you guys? I'm making a double entendre out of everything. Right, anyway. Is right. Bottom the opposite of Peak, though? Yeah, yeah. Like but, yeah. Trough, Peaks the, and troughs. Peaks and troughs. Yeah, trough. That is trough. Crimson yeah, yeah. trough. Troughs and bottoms. Crimson bottoms. Crimson troughs, please. <laughs> Crimson trough. Right, essentially... We're going to find out if it's going to be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. What right. even is that? It's, it says, ah, so oh, okay. that's what it is. Uh, now, just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen Crimson Peak yet, check it out. It's free on Netflix. If you have a Netflix account, that is. Or if not, it'll cost you around £3.50 on Amazon Prime. You can listen to this episode after you watch the film, or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz this week, brought to us by Joel, which will start around the 45-minute mark, I reckon. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Under the Skin. Now, <laughs> under the skin, under the skin. Uh, now, Dave, you judged that trial and you deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, you've mm-hmm. since gone away and watched it. Yep. <laughs> Judging by your face, I think I know <laughs> where this one's going. But did you make the right decision? Yes. Oh, yeah, I think I did. Um, I watched it, and I think maybe I had fair warning from having um, listened to, to Alex and Austin talk about it. I think I knew what I was walking into. It's not my kind of film at all. I was right about that. It, it's not for me. But you know what? It is brilliantly made. It is brilliantly shot. There's a great performance from Scarlett Johansson in it. And it is different. It, they really did try and do something bold and something different. It's, it, it's a very interesting film. I think it would be very remiss not to, to put it on the shit list. You, you hated it, Dave. I can tell. No, <laughs> I really, I really hated it. No, you, you objectively think, think it's a good film, but you hated it. <laughs> no, I think I could have hated it if I hadn't had fair warning. Okay, yeah. If I just sat down and put that on yeah, and yeah. not known what I was yeah. letting myself in for, I think I would have hated it. Sure. As it was, I had a warning, so I was braced, I was ready. Yes. And yeah, it was it was okay. It was okay. You not for me. You really could appreciate it more that yeah. yeah, really not for me. But you know what? I do think it's a decent film. I think it's in the right place. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Dave. Uh, Now, on to the bulk of the show. This week is, of course, a continuation of our Halloween Horror Month. (laughs) And this week is the turn of Joel. Now, as Joel has picked the film, he will be acting as the defence and trying to get the film placed on the hit list. Uh, Now, when it comes to put-downs this week, I've gone for famous Guillermo del Toro monsters because I, uh, well, I, I think I saw Crimson Peak a few years ago but I can't really remember it so I've gone, gone for del Toro okay now Joel is a little bit like Amphibian Man which is his name apparently from The Shape of Water he is physically well fit but he has real problems communicating he's equal parts attractive and hideous uh, some people want to love him some people want to destroy him He's a bit of a Marmite man, to be honest. Uh, wow. I see. I've got about another six to seven pages of insults here. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, and he spends hours and hours in the hot tub. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's got a great arse uh, <laughs> from all the exercising, uh, but uh, an all right face. Um, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> now, all of the other roles have been picked at random. So joining Dave, sorry, joining Joel in defense will be Dave. Now, Dave is a little bit like Pan. 
from Pan's Labyrinth. At this moment in time, he easily looks like he spent a very long time living in a forest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I, give you that one. I um, did have a moment of panic that you shaved your beard off, but uh, no, it's, I'm glad to see that it's still there. Uh, now, uh, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Ozzy and Alex. Now, Ozzy is just like Karl Ruprecht Cronin from Hellboy. He dresses like a steampunk and a fascist had a big, beautiful bearded baby. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex is just like Santi from The Devil's Backbone, a creepy-looking weirdo with a cut on his head. <laughs> <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Which means this week I'll be playing the most important role. I'll be playing the judge. And I'm a little bit like the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth. A tall, skinny, anemic-looking oddity who spends most of his time naked. (laughs) 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 Now, Now, I must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to me and not using my own opinion, which is good because I genuinely cannot remember a single thing about this film. I really, really struggled to try and remember anything about it, but I I genuinely can't. Um, And I have purposely not looked at anything. I haven't looked at Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb. I've just tried to keep it a blank slate. Um, So before we get started, uh, I think we should probably try and give the listeners a bit of a better idea as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. So here we read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, it is landed on Joel. So how would we like Joel to read the synopsis? Bear in mind, I've not seen it, so I've got no idea. Um, Pretty limited, to be honest with you. I mean, about like an old Tom Hiddleston aristocratic. I was going to say, like a very posh British... uh... Like I was going to say, like an old sort of uh, founding father, New York, but no, oh, let's... Let's do that one, yeah. yeah. Take your pick, Joel. Founding father, New York, or aristocratic Brit? Oh. Both. We'll just see what comes out, essentially. <laughs> 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 That's what she says. <laughs> Austin. <laughs> you are filthy today. <laughs> In the aftermath of a family tragedy, an aspiring author is torn between love for her childhood friend and the temptation of a mysterious outsider. Trying to escape the ghosts of her past, she is swept away to a house that breathes, bleeds, and remembers. Such a James Mason to that. I've got a little shiver down my spine. Now, okay, well, uh, that's everything I want to know. So um, I think I'll put it on the hit list. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, so allow me to kick off proceedings. Uh, as always, I think I'll start with a bit of a defense. So, Joel, can you give me a little bit of an idea as, as to what this film is actually about? Just expand on that synopsis, please, and give me a few uh, good points as to why you think this is a belter of a film. Uh, I certainly can. So this film opens with um, a lady called Edith Edith Cushings. Uh, She's a little girl at the time and her mother uh, passes away at the very start of the film. Uh, And while she's asleep, the ghost of her mother comes back and just basically tells her to beware of Crimson Peak. Um, Then it flashes forward, I don't know how long, like 15, 20 years, and she's obviously grown up. Um, Her father's like very wealthy. Uh, he's got like this whole estate. Uh, then kind of Tom Hiddleston's character comes into it, who's called Thomas Sharp, and he pitches kind of like an idea, like almost like a Dragon's Den-esque. Um, and uh, Edith's father uh, rejects the idea, but he kind of doesn't take no for an answer, if you like. And think, what's, think... What, what's the idea? Sorry. So the the idea is it's like a steam engine which farms clay. Um, basically, uh, Thomas Sharp or Tom Hiddleston is an inventor. Um, so he, he's kind of made this little model of a piece of mining equipment and he's just pitching it to, to the family and saying, you know, can you invest in this essentially? Um, they decline basically because they have like a, a weird feeling about him. 
uh, and then uh, Edith's father kind of investigates Thomas and he turns up uh, some kind of information that you don't get to see at that time um, but he basically offers to pay him off he says if you leave I'll give you this money um, he accepts that uh, but then Thomas's sister uh, who's called Lucille who is played by Jessica Chastain she uh, murders uh, Edith's father and uh, if things kind of one thing leads to another and Edith and Thomas kind of end up getting married they move to England which is where Thomas is from and they move to his mansion which is basically in the middle of nowhere but it's set on top of uh, this uh, old mine it's a red clay mine um, and eventually you find out that that place is known as Crimson Peak but obviously at the time she doesn't she doesn't know that so um, <clears throat> You know, it's a bit of a shock to her. Um, so this is where the kind of the story gets uh, gets interesting, really, because it's not it's not really a typical horror. There's no like jump scares. You know, you're not really sat there scared watching it. It's very much a kind of typical Guillermo del Toro, I'd say. You know, it's it's something like Pan's Labyrinth or you know Shape of Water, something like that, where potentially the horror is is just kind of you know watching the plot unfold and. Uh, the main reason why I enjoyed it really is because you uh, you really kind of feel like you're watching an old film. I don't think there are many kind of gothic films around uh, these days and especially good ones and uh, the the plot, like the location, the characters, it all just plays into it really, really well. Uh, so the story kind of moves on from there. Uh, Edith, as she saw her dead mother as a ghost at the start of the film, she starts to see these goats that are bright red in colour. Like one of them's got like a, a hatchet sticking out of their head um, and she's basically being haunted by them essentially. Uh, later on down the line you find out that these are victims of Thomas and Lucille who are kind of in a, a basically love affair uh, which is to do with incest. Uh, they killed their mother in the bath with a hatchet uh, mm. which is where that ghost comes from uh, and essentially they are conning um, women who are going to inherit fortunes which is why they've gone after Edith and they've conned a bunch of other women in the past and they've killed them taken their fortune and buried their bodies there which is what these ghosts are that she's seeing. Uh, so um, Edith kind of eventually finds this out and she is trying to you know escape from the mansion essentially and that's pretty much the the plot of the film. It's pretty different from your typical kind of horror. Um, it, it wasn't really something that I was expecting what first time I went into it, uh, you know, especially from the opening few scenes, you think that it's going to be kind of like your typical uh, scary movie, but there's none of kind of the usual tropes of, you know, a haunted house, uh, you know, possessed child, anything like that. It is entirely unique, which is what you'd expect from Guillermo del Toro. And it, that's why really, that I was drawn to this. And as I say, the, the cast, the characters, the sets, uh, the costume designs, all that type of stuff just ties into it all really perfectly. And it just marries together to make this kind of really unique blend. Um, so it, it's definitely a film which, uh, you know, I would suggest everybody checks out. Okay, thank you very much, Joel. Uh, so Alex, uh, we've got the uh, lovely cocktail of ingredients that make one delicious drink. Uh, it's essentially not like a, a horror film, but it's more of a gothic sort of um, mystery sort of ho gothic horror. Yeah, a little bit like The Woman in Black. Um, yeah. The others. It's like right. a gothic Coronation Street, mate. Go gothic Coronation. <laughs> gothic Nation Street. Yeah, I'd I'd say the big the big huge difference is what Joel touched upon is the lack of scares. You know, Joel's saying it's unique and there's not a lot of horror tropes. Maybe there should have been. This isn't a scary film. Uh, you know, the thing is, the ingredients are there. You've got Tom Hiddleston, you've got Jas Jessica Chastain, you've got Guillermo del Toro, you've got the whole host of, you know, the production that Guillermo del Toro brings, right? And when I saw Crimson Peak, I'd never heard of it before. So when I saw all of the, when I saw all of these things and when Joel suggested it, I was like, amazing, you know, this film, I can't believe I've never heard of it. Why have I never heard of it? 
it, and I'm sorry, but it's because it's shit, right? That's why, <laughs> that is why you've not heard of Crimson Peak because no one talks about it because it's just shit. And, and it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for a lot of different reasons. Um, it, you know, it's, I think there was a budget here that just got absolutely blown, you know, there's so costumes. much money was set on the costumes in this period piece at the beginning. You have these huge sh shots of New York back in the day, which you don't need. You have this whole big beginning, which is really boring. It takes about half an hour for the film to actually move to the location where the things actually start happening. I, I checked out, I have to say, by, by the time you go through New York, I just wasn't invested in the film. I didn't care about the characters. I didn't, I, you know, and, and I, I just didn't really believe any of it was happening. The, the worst crime that this film do, um, commits is that it's got a really obvious plot, right? A completely obvious plot. You know exactly what's going from the very beginning to the film to the very end. You know, you're you in no it. doubt. And you I'm not saying... You're going to be incest. <laughs> yeah, 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 to be honest. Well, actually yeah, you, you do. do, yeah. You yeah, spend you do. from about like 25 minutes in, you kind of like, oh, I hope yeah, this isn't a you know. thing, you know. But, uh, but, that's going to be predictable. This isn't me being some sort of like, oh, wow, you know, I figured it out or something like this. I'm saying that this is the, the film makes this obvious through the character's performances. So Tom Hiddleston is such an obvious sort of like shit that when he's, you know, when he's asking the father for money and he's sort of leaving a pause when he's seducing the daughter. And, you know, not, not only do you understand that he's a villain, that he's obvious and, you know, you're just like, well, he's obviously doing it for the money to inherit her, to take her back. But you also know in his performance that actually he does have a bit of conflict in him and that he does actually maybe have feelings for her as well. So you completely know the plot all of the way through. There's no surprises. And yet the film does the awful thing of teasing the plot. And it's, it's so annoying where you're just like, oh, you've been here to, you know, because we're like after your money, which you find out like an, an hour and 20 minutes after you figured that out, after you just knew that that's what was happening. So, I, yeah, I'd, I'd say that this film just fails on the just basic levels of, of just narrative structure. And the last thing I'd say is, is this is something, I mean, Joel's talked about it before, this gore for gore's sake. And I'd say this is a film that really, really is just gore for gore's sake. It's not scary, right? And, it, and none of it is scary all the way through. None of the sort of, there's no jump scares. There's no when the ghosts appear. You're just not frightened by them. But what it does do is it has these sort of just, unpleasant scenes where someone might get stabbed in the face or get stabbed in the eye and, it, and it's just unpleasant and it's not nice and it, it's not that it's scary it's just gory and shocking to sort of like it sort of just pulls you out of your sort of like stupefied state that you're in you know two-thirds of the way through the film so um yeah it could have been amazing the ingredients were there but it just really proves that a film is more than the sum of its parts. You know, you need to put it all together and it just didn't, it just doesn't pull it all together. Tim Burton could have done it. You could have had that gothic comedy in, in a set and you could have had a bit of a lighter tone to it. Guillermo oh. del Toro does not do it. Okay, so um, so you're saying that this is, the, uh, Dark Shadows is the film that this could have been. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a film it wants to be, yeah. Joel, I, I, I don't know. Were you putting your hand up then? I couldn't tell with your, with your I was, background. I was just going to say that I, I actually agree with Alex, but I think he's completely missed the point. Um, you know, the film is meant to be obvious. You are meant to know kind of what's going on. You, you, the film, as Alex said, it really lays it out for you that, um, you know, Thomas Sharp and Lucille are, are con men, essentially. Uh, and the horror is that you see um, Edith kind of going into it, not realizing it herself, you know, so it's kind of leading you down the path of, um, you know, although you see it, she doesn't see it. And you're like, oh, Jesus, you know, it's really fucking obvious watching it. I mean, you've got to be, I'm sorry, you've got to be stupid if you don't realize that a place with red clay isn't meant to be Crimson Peak. It's not like when it's revealed that it's called Crimson Peak and hour into the film, you're like, Holy fuck, you know, didn't see that. <laughs> it's just not how the film, the film is. It plays out completely obviously. And as I say, the horror is that you have to watch the character go through it. And, you know, I, I'll agree with Alex again in that I don't like gore for gore's sake, but there's barely any gore in this film. The, the one scene that Alex is mentioning is right at the end when Tom Hiddleston gets, gets stabbed in the face. And again, there's barely any gore. I think like he has like this this blood teardrop which comes over his eye. 
he pulls out the knife and he's got a tiny bit of blood on his face. I just find that an extremely fucking weird point to make, to be honest, Brucey, because there's oh, rarely Jesus, <laughs> Jesus in, Christ, in Joel, this entire right. film. <laughs> well, we've all got to make our arguments, haven't we, buddy? Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's the Did format I tell you what, of it, what it smells of to Joel. me. To me, Gav, it smells of desperation. Jesus, yeah, but... I, I, think, I think I'll admit Alex has just taken it too far. <laughs> all the episodes that we've done, all the horrible things no, that have no, been said, no, no. Alex, now you've no. just taken it too far. So I'm no, have to normally ask I'm, at the re- I'm at the receiving end of it, but I really have. I, I apologise to everyone. That's really stepped a lot in this week. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Dave, just an extension of that, really. So, um, mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro, he's sort of famous for making horror films that aren't really horrific. They're more sort of like creepy and it's more about the costumes and the makeup and the props and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. And also Alex's point about um, sort of go for go's sake. Uh, I think that's another one of his director hallmarks, isn't it? You know, somebody getting something really like uh, horrific happening to them, um, which is done so easily, like um, Michael Shannon's character getting his uh, fingers bitten off and, you know, mm-hmm. so back on and um, the character in Pan's Labyrinth that gets stabbed in the face. Is that another uh, instance of this or is it just unnecessary? Uh, no, I'd say it's very much another instance of that. I agree with Joel that this isn't really altogether that gory. It's more implied. It feels like it could be gory because, you know, there's these rivers of red clay running around the house and it feel, it looks like blood visually. So it may, maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking it's gory. It actually isn't. There's very little actual blood in it. But no, it is very much the visual style of Del Toro that carries the show on this one. Um, he's got a very distinct way of looking at ghosts. Um, if you've seen The Devil's Backbone, he did something similar there where you don't just see the ghost and, you know, in typical Hollywood style, I've been doing it since the 1920s, you can see through them into the, the surroundings behind them. When Del Toro does it, you can also see the skeletons of the ghosts. You know, when the moonlight catches them a certain way, you can see other parts of them. You see blood and things like that. And the blood's going kind of against gravity, as it were. It's kind of like trickling upwards. This was done in Devil's Backbone. You know, it is very much the Del Toro flair. You know, he's done this before and it's very much his. I don't think I've ever seen anyone represent ghosts in this way. Visually, his style is there in the in the aesthetics of the house. It looks beautiful. You know, it's it's supposed to be in complete disrepair. You know, they don't have any money. They're broke. Um, Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain. So if you, as you walk into the house, the lobby is just open. And you've got, I think, is it Blossom at first? Later Snow, but I think Blossom coming through this opening into the hall. It looks beautiful, but it also serves to show you how dilapidated the house is, how broke they truly are. Um, but again, the visual style, it looks pretty. I mean, it'd be horrible in winter, but it looks good. Um, and I think when it comes to the the obviousness of the plot, it is quite obvious. You know what's coming, but it's that sense of foreboding because this isn't a film that goes for shock. It's not looking to get you with jump scares. It's a ghost story, more like a gothic romance as much as it is a ghost story. Kind of think of The Turn of the Screw. That is probably the best way, the best story I can compare it to where it is very much gothic ghost story it's not horror per se but it's just a gothic ghost story so it goes for a sense of chilling the horror comes from the building of foreboding and i think it is obvious that tom hiddleston is not a guy you're going to get on board with you know there is something off about him there's something very off about jessica chastain you're not sat there thinking oh i like these two she's going to have a wonderful time in britain with them you you really are thinking no something's up here something's off and that sense of foreboding that that sense of concern and alarm is building within the viewer there's no shock there's no climax. It just builds to, well, no, I suppose it does build to this kind of climactic end, but it's not just a sudden moment. It is the very ending of the film. It's the final half hour, I could say, is where things uh, really hit the, the fan, so to speak. When the clay hits the fan. Well, well done, Dave. Well done. I was going to say, what does hit climax, the fan? The, the climax builds and the, the clay hits the fan. Yeah. So you, you, you hear about real. you know like directors who have real trouble uh, depicting blood in films, and that's why you know in like seventies and eighties horror, blood is often like bright orange or something stupid because mm. you know if you depict any blood, it automatically takes it up to like an R or an X rating or something. And I wonder if this is his way of getting around it. You know, it's just sort of like yeah, rivers oh no, clay. it's not blood; it's just rivers of clay. Ozzy, <laughs> um, just uh, briefly with you, um, did you want to make a joke about Dave's comments about it being a bit like Ten of the Screw? No, I was actually. Uh, what I was, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, sorry. Hold on, two seconds. I just got. I uh, didn't set my phone up before we started. Uh, so we can still hear you, Ozzy. It's all, it's all good. It's all no, good. I know, but I couldn't hear you. All I could hear was a ringtone. Oh, <laughs> 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 so, uh, 
yeah so yeah. What, what, what's it what's your comments about this austin we've had a lot of kind of good uh comments for uh from dave and um and joel I think, I alex I went a bit right. too far with his comments so <laughs> can you try and bring it back <laughs> a little I'll personal and, yeah, i'll try and reach it just into you know somewhere into the middle ground here but i think dave and joel are right it's it's, it's a very pretty uh film you know it's it's a nice uh, uh like elizabethan i guess era um sort of setting the costumes are fantastic it's very del toro it's incredibly uh you know well shot technically it's great it's just really fucking boring <laughs> you know uh, it, it's like it's, it's almost like a boring version of pride prejudice and zombies mate. <laughs> 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 at, least, at least in that film there was like action and you know you didn't really know what was going to happen you knew it was zombies but you didn't really know when they were going to attack in this like like joel and, and dave said you you led all the way down the path and that's that's clearly a, a choice by the director but it's boring it's like a really like i said before i joked before about it being like coronation street that's what it felt like it was just really like a soap opera a two hour long soap opera episode i found like it, an omnibus uh, yeah like i was after after you know 15 20 minutes i was a bit done by the visuals i was that was great i've, I've seen these now i've seen the costumes it looks great um, but it's boring and the CGI ghost comes in and then it takes any real mystique out of there. Like they've mm. said, yeah, it's an interesting take on it, but it just takes all the mystery away. So, yeah, it's cool to to depict um, ghosts in a different way that, that you've seen before. But actually, um, it, it feels like a bit of a letdown to, to see the monster. We always say this, that as soon as you see um, the thing that's meant to scare you, you know, or something that's, that is scary, it just you know it just it's a bit it's a bit useless and and i get what joel's saying you know i hadn't really thought about it maybe the horror is in watching somebody fall for stuff that you already know you know it's it's i guess some sort of gothic romance but it's just it's just a little bit boring you know it's not it's it's not a great script it's not like it not not even not even by a by a it's not even just a a poor script it's it's really really poor it's just boring you know it's a real shame to watch um like jessica chastain who's a great actress um and and that you know mia uh edith and edith cushing you know i think i think the actors and actresses do a really good job but with a really poor um you know with no substance you know it's all style that's, that's okay. all there is about this um yeah well okay well so with that i think we should move on to talk a little bit about the director himself um so Guillermo del Toro has got a very very distinctive style as Dave mentioned before you know you think about some of his films and they're visually very very striking you know you could put them against any other film and you'd be able to say yeah that's a del, uh, del Toro film um uh, Alex you, uh, you're signaling you, you you've got something to say like a very tiny yeah. nugget <laughs> yeah not a lot to say <laughs> not to say I'm going to tread very carefully <laughs> this time um no, what I, I would say, yeah, he does have a visual style. This is the first time, and I mean this honestly, um, that I was a bit bored by it. Like, I, I, I feel, I don't say, I'm not saying that he's ran out of tricks, but it was the first time where I was a bit like, that's a Del Toro ghost. Do you know what I mean? There's Doug Jones, there's Del Toro, there's, you know what I mean? And maybe some people would find that satisfying because they, you know, they love his work and fair enough. You'd be like, oh, but it sort of took me out of it a little bit. Whereas when I was watching Pan's Labyrinth or some of his other films, you're sort of like, oh, that's incredible. And you're really into the visuals. This was the first time where I was looking at the ghost thinking, oh, that's a very Del Toro ghost, isn't it? You know, and the set as well, it's all very, you know, odd and cluttered and Del Toro, you know? And yeah, you know, maybe people would enjoy that. I, I just felt it actually took me out of it. And it was just the first time where I was just like, misfire on this one actually and maybe you need to expand your repertoire a little bit just because i didn't find it that interesting okay alex calm down um, <laughs> now uh, joel um okay so uh, yeah alex and ozzy essentially saying style of substance it's a little bit unoriginal you know we've seen this type of thing before and maybe it's just a bit too overplayed uh, what would you say to that uh i would say Every single one of Del Toro's films are completely unique, really. Um, kind of in the same way that when you watch a Christopher Nolan film, you, you're usually watching something that hasn't been done before. I think it's the same with Del Toro. You know, whatever you think of Christopher Nolan, Alex. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, 
you, you, you can't debate things like that. And it's the same here, the style, as I said before, you do feel like you're watching this kind of, um, you know, old, uh, you know, like Ozzy said, you're watching like a 1960s version, sorry, in a 1660s episode of Coronation Street, you know, you could imagine yourself. 1660s. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 1660s, you know. And the, w- the joke is, this Ken is still in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I think I think it's just, you know, visually absolutely beautiful and the, the contrasting colours of what, as well, you know, Dave mentioned the the clay and when it uh, snows and when it rains it kind of runs red and it looks like the house is kind of surrounded by blood and when people walk in the snow obviously it leaves these red clay footprints which look like bloody footprints essentially um you know the, the way the house is designed it's so run down that you know uh, there's there's dust everywhere there's shadows there's snow falling through you know windows and and roofs and, and as a whole, you know, even if you aren't kind of engaged in what's going on, you know, just visually, it, it's absolutely beautiful. And if more kind of directors took a leaf out of, you know, this book, I think we'd have horror films up there more often in terms of awards and things like that. Because if you look at, you know, awards that this film was nominated for, you know, set design, costumes, all those types of things, you know, were awards that this film was nominated for. Is this in the Oscars? I don't know if it was in the Oscars, but, um, you know, it got, you know, awards for other things. Um, These were Joel Robinson awards. The, the Joel Robinson <laughs> Sponsored by Dave Farrell. I mean, they're esteemed, they're esteemed awards. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, they, there's, there's just some really nice scenes. Um, you know, some, some off the top of my head uh, is when Edith's looking around the house and she goes past this uh, wheelchair. Uh, and it's a wheelchair that you find out later on um, when Jessica Chastain has been poisoning the, uh, the the victims, if you like, that when they reach a certain level of sickness, they basically get put in this wheelchair. But she walks past the wheelchair and she kind of blows dust over the wheelchair. And there's like a silhouette of, you know, a, a lady sat there who's kind of pointing. Um, and it's just things like that. You know, it's, it's, it's not meant to scare you. It's just really visually appealing to look at. And as I say, it's not something that you see in other films. And just to quickly touch on the ghosts, you know, they are very kind of Guillermo del Toro, but again, they're not meant to scare you. It's not a horror film in that way. It's not like we're watching Sinister or something like that here. The ghosts are actually, I don't want to use the word friendly. It's not like Casper, but they're <laughs> on, they're on Edith's side. So they it's kind a of... Yeah, yeah they, they point her in the direction of things which her, which lead to her uncovering, uh, you know, uh, the what they've done before. She finds out that Thomas has been married before through the intervention of these ghosts. And the ghosts, as I say, were the, uh, you know, the, the victims uh, of their kind of past misdemeanors, if you like. So um, basically what I'll end up with is we heard Alex basically go off the rails in his first argument and in his second argument he said it bring it back and he just went even deeper off the rails i mean what, so what can, is this can, called can you what, trust is it gaslight am i actually being gaslighted by four of my friends <laughs> i mean that's that... what's happening here man but you need to watch, just just hold it back just a tiny little am bit. i shouting i'd like to win this one <laughs> Why is shouting? I, mean, I, I know alex is a teacher and, but think you've got more patience <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, me, guys. I, I wind it down. Yeah, can I can I jump in on this? Right, is that like Joel's pretty much just given our argument for us? Is that the the film is, you know, it is Del Toro. It is obviously Del Toro, but it's it's just style. It really is just style. Of a sudden, there's no emotion to it. You don't care about anyone. There's just no there's no real reason to watch the film from start to finish because you don't care what happens. Like it, it's it's fine to have this like concept where you I in actual fact I think the film would be better if you didn't have the first conversation between uh, uh, uh Thomas Hiddleston and and, and and her because then you might not know what was gonna happen at least you'd be on the edge of your seat thinking yeah. oh is he about to kill her is that what's gonna come here but because you already know you don't really need to watch it it's like the corpse bride but the first bit it's the same story 
you know, a rich. Have you not seen the Colts Pride? Just, uh, just move on. Just... <laughs> but anyway, it's like it is just that. It's it's pretty. You watch it on as big a screen as you can possibly find, just for the visuals. Um, kind of like how we I described Tenet after after watching it is. It's great to look at, but it's it's you're not gonna you're not gonna enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> no uh, point in, in watching it on, other than for pretty pictures. Uh, okay, thanks, Ozzy. Um, yeah, I just needed to get you off there before you spent like five minutes describing corpse bride to us. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, the key scene is that this man. Short of. He's a poor man. <laughs> right, Dave, anything you want to add about uh, direction, style, anything uh, before we move on to characters? I think it's all been said about style. We've all established that it, it's a beautiful film it looks fantastic you know scenic wise costume design every visual element of this film looks superb it's a great soundtrack as well it sounds good as well you know it's a very aesthetically pleasing film insofar as the substance beneath the surface that we're talking about the the river of clay under the earth if you will we're talking about, <laughs> i think I, I didn't know this was bad i mean i know austin and alex say it was Honestly, when you've got Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain and Mia Vasikovska, and it, that's pretty much it. You know, it's a pr- pretty small cast once it gets down to actually setting the film at Crimson Peak. When you've got actors of that caliber, they get it off the page. You know, it's, I never noticed the script was bad. I'm not saying it's not, but I never noticed it because of the caliber of the actors that Del, Del Toro has hired. And also his skill as a director, he gets the best out of them. He steers the story in the direction he wants to go. I do feel there were some surprises along the way. I mean, most of it is very predictable. It's not going for that shock value that you might be expecting. But um, Charlie Hunnam's character, you know, who's, um, he, he basically spends a lot of the film traveling to Crimson Peak to to, you think, save Mia, Mia Vasikovska's character. Um, and you think that's what's going to happen. And he essentially ends up doing a Scatman Carruthers in The Shining, whereas he, <laughs> he rocks up and within half an hour, he's cut down. You know? And then it's left, he's, he's, mort- he's, he's, no, he's not mortally wounded. Tom Hiddleston kind of spares him and wounds him instead of killing him. And then it's down to Mia Vazikovska to save him and herself. You know, it's kind of flipped on its head that way. And that, I, I genuinely didn't see that bit coming. You know, I saw some things coming and you're meant to. It's that sense of foreboding that's like taking you by the hand and guiding you on this story. But there were elements where you do take a detour that you're not expecting. And honestly, I enjoyed the ride. I thought it was a very good film. Well, that's great. Thanks, Dave. Um, you've just mentioned uh, Charlie Hunnam, uh, who I didn't know was in it. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned the, the script. Uh, you don't really know if it's bad or not because the performance is that good. Um, anything else that you want to add about the performances or the performers themselves? Me? Or yes, anyone? yes, Dave. Yeah. Me? Um, I'd say the, the show is stolen by Jessica Chastain. I think she is fantastic in this. It really is a great performance. And a bob on British accent from her as well. Tom Hiddleston is kind of He's kind of the Tom Hiddleston we know, you know, kind of, uh, he's playing this kind of aloof, sort of aristocratic, something a bit dodge about him, just like, just like Tom Hiddleston. Something you can't quite put your finger on that you don't trust. But, um... I see, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we can all put a finger on what we don't <laughs> trust about Ozzy. Uh, Charlie Hunnam is fine. He's not in it that much. Like I say, he just basically spends most of the film traveling to a place that he's going to get wounded at. Um, but yeah, he he's, gives a fine performance. Mia Vasikovska is very compelling as a protagonist. You know, it's, it's her journey you're following it's her it's her you're accompanying as the twists and turns are revealed throughout the story and yeah she's um she's a great companion for this for this story okay uh, thank you very much dave um uh, alex there are no twists and turns to this story Stop shouting at me <laughs> <laughs> you you know where this right story's gonna, here, you know where this story's gonna end right from the pretty much the first 10 minutes Crimson the end ends. you know it all of the way through, right? Oh, Judge, you've got to come in. You've got to jump in at some point. Uh, yeah, okay, I will. Order, order, order. <laughs> Alex, keep your voice down. <laughs> <laughs> like, there, there are no... Like, Joel and Dave keep going on about these twists and turns and this foreboding. No, I'm sorry. Del Toro dropped the ball on this film. He just did. You know, the ghosts aren't scary. What are you talking... You know, the ghosts are meant to be scary. They're just not because it's not done well enough. Um, the... You know, I'd say the actors are, you know, they're, they're top flight actors, aren't they? You've got Tom Hiddleston, you've got Jessica Chastain. And I'd say in certain bits, yeah, that you know, they do some interesting, you know, like, you know, facial movements or something like that. But it's within a plot. 
that's got no surprises in it whatsoever. Dave's saying the biggest surprise is that Charlie Hunnam becomes a, you know, a bit more of a damsel in distress. I mean, it's not really a plot turn. It's more just, you know, it's just a, 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 an event, really. It, it, it's not a huge thing that sort of wakes you up after a whole film where you've just known exactly what was going to happen. I'd say Charlie Hunnam is not good in this. I, I really don't. I, I don't think... <laughs> when you think of Charlie Hunnam, a Victorian doctor, do you know what I mean, <laughs> does not come to mind. He, is, he was miscast massively here. Do you know what I mean? He's too much of a sort of a, a thug, really. He's too, he's too built to be a Victorian doctor in this. And he, he's just very miscast. And you sort of get the sense that he doesn't quite know what he's meant to be doing in the film, really. In, you know, uh, maybe, maybe in Del Toro's defence, we're in Victorian doctors, primarily butchers. Possibly, yeah, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> you know what, and that is it. He, he does come across far more like someone who could just, like, hack off your leg. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Rather than someone who's... He doesn't look like he's got a lot of, you know, lot going on upstairs, to be honest. Yeah. Um, he's, he's passed over by Mia uh, Vasikowska for Tom Hiddleston. Again, you're a bit like, really? Okay, maybe. Um, but Tom Hiddleston... I, I and... choose Tom Hiddleston over him. <laughs> maybe. But yeah. just the, the last thing I'd say is just Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain, they do a, a, they do a fair job, right? But the script is, it is just is severely limited. So the lines, they don't have any memorable lines. They don't really have any surprising moments, okay? Because you're just waiting for these reveals desperately to happen so you can finally get past them so yeah you know Dave's saying they do give good performances but the script no you, you you know you can't just say it doesn't matter what script an actor has if they're good enough they'll make it fly off the page this is just poor writing in plot structure and in just what the characters are saying and nothing can nothing can disguise that you could have the best actors in the world you got to have a script okay um, so, uh, can I just wrap up? To wrap up Alex's whole thing on the script there, the absolute best line and most pertinent line in the entire film is given by um, is given by Edith's mom early on. Stay away from Crimson Peak, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it does warn you. Uh, uh, Joel, okay, um, Alex says the script is awful and uh, even the best performances in the world couldn't make this a decent script. Uh, do uh, these performances make it a decent script? I mean, is the script as bad as Alex and Austin are making out? And uh, do, do the performances at least disguise some of the script's flaws? Silence says it all. Oh, he's, 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 he's on bloody music. Oh, absolute <laughs> idiot. No, this, is, this is just a ruse. Yeah. He's yeah. thinking. He's thinking of what to say. Is that RogerEber.com on in the background there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not going to help him. <laughs> no, four stars uh, out of four, I believe, Austin. I think it will. It's not his... written by the man himself, though. It's beyond his. It was after his no, passing. True that. I'll yeah. give you that one. This is what happens when you use a Bluetooth headset. Uh, Dave, can you yes, answer mate. in Joel's... Uh, <laughs> just while Joel's charging up frantically charging his headset yeah. if he spent uh, yes. more time looking after his gear instead of putting fancy backgrounds on I got I got his back now is he back okay no and then we no, start no. <laughs> I think this is a default win for the uh, <laughs> I, 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 I disagree <laughs> to be honest I mean our, our audience probably don't even know Hold the difference down. There, there we go. go. Uh, <laughs> right, what was the question? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Do the perform like, is the script as poor as Alex and Austin are making out? Or, uh, and if it is, do the performances at least disguise some of the script's flaws? Um, are you going to believe these two jokers? That's, <laughs> that, that's what I'd ask you. Um, no, I, th I think it's a decent script, and I think all the performances are absolutely spot on. You know, I think uh, Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain are, are excellent. You know, Mia, I'm not even going to try and pronounce her, her surname because I'll butcher it. You know, I think she is absolutely brilliant. That nickname. Well. Um, you know, her father, who nobody mentioned, uh, Jim Bieber, I think he is, you know, he's only in it for a small time before he's, before he's murdered. But he's excellent as well. You know, I just think casting-wise, it was it was absolutely spot on. And essentially, you have only got these three characters. So if one of them, you know, doesn't do doesn't do very well, um, then it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And you, you don't have that here. They're all kind of equally playing off each other. 
as mentioned, you know, Jessica Chastain is, is definitely the best one. You know, the script in my eyes is, is very good. Um, essentially, uh, Lucia, which is Jessica Chastain, obviously um, she's in love with, with her brother, uh, Thomas, but Thomas falls in love with Edith, which isn't meant to happen. You know, he's just meant to lure these kind of women in, uh, get their fortunes and then kill them. So Lucille kind of starts to get quite jealous. And there's this kind of uh, scene about halfway through where uh, Thomas and uh, Edith get snowed in at the store. Uh, they eventually kind of sleep together for the first time and then they, they go back to Crimson Peak and Lucille, uh, Jessica Chastain is just, um, you know, she's kind of really, really fucking pissed off. Um, and at that point in the film, you, you know, uh, it's not really completely obvious that there's incest and all that type of stuff going on. Um, so the, the performances there and the scripts, I think, were, were absolutely outstanding. And, um, <sighs> <laughs> Come on, finish it, finish it. You too. Finish. I, I completely forgot what I was going to say. I'll, I'll finish the, on your face. For the, benefit, for, the, for the benefit of the audience, the entire, the we entire don't silence here was made up by Gav just making uh, hey, listen, hilarious, listen, hilarious like, the, actions the, and gestures. The, the, the audience... You didn't yeah, need to hear that. Peek behind the curtain. They don't, they don't need to peek. <laughs> Actually, yeah, maybe not. Peak. Keep that curtain up. Yeah. Put this on Patreon. Right, listen, guys. Right, like I, I was doing Family that fans. because you might like. I need to wrap this up. Right, so I and I really do, need. Yeah. So yeah, too. I do need to wrap it up. Uh, I, I really need some uh, closing remarks. Just very, very brief, like oh, two okay. sentence summary. Like uh, why I, I this should be on the hit list. Why this should be on the shit list. Starting with Joel. Joel, tell me, really concise. Why is this a hit this film? Because it's a interesting watch. It's called Crimson Peak, which also kind of reminds you of an erection. And that's what you'll have when you're watching this film. Appealing uh, to your erection. <laughs> I just see Joel's code defender just shaking his head in shame. <laughs> right. Um, what he's being tied you two were just like pretending to wank each other off. Is he also an ambush? Behave, behave. Right. I'll get I'll get the other bad one out of the way. Ozzy, uh, um, <laughs> like against. Why should this be on the shit list? I, I mean, I, I wasted my uh, my closing remark earlier by saying beware, beware, Crimson Peak. Don't go near it. Um, okay, so thank you very yeah, much. It's a boring watch. It's just a boring watch. It's beautiful, but it's boring. Right. Uh, that sums up uh, Joel pretty well, I think. Uh, Dave? Uh, <laughs> 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 I'll just start. This film has Guillermo del Toro stamped all over it. It is his visual flair with the substance of Daphne du Maurier. This is a must-watch. In, in the Guillermo del Toro canon. Whether you're a fan, you need to see this film. If you're not a fan of del Toro, you still need to see this film. Okay. Alex, how can you argue against that? It's totally obvious from minute zero, and it's not scary. So why would you put this film on the hit list? Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So I've got a lot of food for thought, to be honest, a lot. Um, Joel, I believe you have a lovely quiz for us. Hello, hello. Hello. You're here. Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you, Joe Robinson. We can hear you and still see you. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that caught me off guard, to be honest. I thought, oh, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, oh, for fuck's sake. We're still what, here. Oh, no. twice <laughs> still listening. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, so... Right, this film is just a nice little horror quiz, to be honest. And it disturbed me making this quiz in many ways because it forced me to relive past horror films, which I tried to suppress deep inside myself. Um, so having to relive them for this quiz, you know, I, I hope everyone's grateful. Um, so as usual, I've tried to make it relatively easy, but every time I say this, you're all just sat there with blank expressions <laughs> on your face. When I ask when I ask the questions, so let's just see how it goes. So, question one: Who is the killer in Friday the Thirteenth? Um, um, I'll give that to Gav. I think it was just before you, Dave. Oh, 
Uh, Pamela Voorhees. Well done. It was a trick question. I thought you'd fail, but you passed. Thanks, man. I was going to say Jason, but Me I too. you guys had said something else. <laughs> yeah, but I did biff up this previously. I think you asked the question previously, uh, or I tried to give a summary of the ending of it, and I got it completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so question two. In which sort of film does John Kramer die? Um, Saw 3, The Final Frontier. <laughs> is that really the name of it? No, I but I'm not going to give you the point because you've got it wrong. What? i got the name of the film. I don't think they've got, they've got the other names, have they? No, Saw 3. I think it's just got Saw 3, yeah. Okay, um, what is the year listed in the final portrait? Uh, which Jack Nicholson is in in The Shining. Oh, oh, bam! Brucey. 1925. It's close, but also not correct. <laughs> bam! 1922. Very close. Bam! 1921. <laughs> well done, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I don't deserve that point. <laughs> okay, uh, question four. How long did it take to film The Blair Witch Project? Bam! bam. 24 minutes. <laughs> Oddly enough, shorter than the actual film time. Yeah, they just, just looped a load of it. Uh, on, two, Bruce, weeks. two weeks. Pretty close. Anyone else? Three weeks. Two and a, yeah, two and a half. Uh, weeks. Two weeks, <laughs> 24 minutes. <laughs> two weeks, 24. Ozzy, you're the only one who hasn't picked, and you can uh, literally win it by just going the other direction. One and a half weeks. Uh, very close. It was eight days altogether. Wow. Eight days. Wow. Impressive. Mm. But it was constant, so they didn't sleep for eight days. And that's how they got the look of terror <laughs> on their faces when they were filming. They okay, did actually one, die. This they one's for you, on the lake by just letting them listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what Pretty is the name of, of the girl in the ring? Bam. Bam. Oh, hang on. Which one? All right. Sorry. Samara. Samara is right. Um, okay, what item do the Warrens take from the house in The Conjuring to add to their little collection? Oh, good one. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Not the oh, is it like a, a bam? Is it like a little um, little music box? It is, because yes. at the end of the film, it opens and starts playing on yeah. its own. Uh, well done. So, um, question seven. In a quiet place, how do you kill the creatures? Bam! Uh, noises. And a shotgun. You've got to be a little bit more specific. Make a loud noise with a sound. Oh, radio. You use some sort of radio signal to fuck them up and then you shoot Isn't them. Isn't it like the white head. noise or something? So, I, I mean, I, I'll, give it, I'll give you half a point each. So, it's basically uh, feedback from the radio, uh, which causes a high-pitched noise, which uh, um, means the creature, like, reels back and exposes their flesh and then... You know, I mean, the, the shotguns are very a shot, important a shot, part of that. A shotgun, a shotgun <laughs> yeah. is correct, essentially. If you, didn't, if you didn't then blow its head off with the shotgun, you've just got an, an angry monster. Yeah, it's even angrier than before. <laughs> yeah, you've made it worse. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, so to finish this off, I've got some quotes, and you've just got to tell me what film they're from. Okay, so number one. Uh, sorry, they're not, they're not quotes, they're, they're taglines. If Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all. Yeah. Oh, Dave. Dave. Nightmare before, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Nightmare before, Nightmare before Elm Street. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is right. I would um, love to see that prequel then. It's like <laughs> the day before they move. <laughs> Pocket okay. up the backs. Of the, po- uh, up the he's boxes. in town with a few days to kill. Bam. Predator <laughs> 2. Predator 2, well done. <laughs> wow. Okay, question, question whatever we're on. Uh, winner kills all. Winner kills Bam. all. Battle Royale. Nope, but you th- you're kind of thinking it on the right lines, but it involves two horror oh, Is it uh, Freddy versus Jason? Yeah, it is Freddy versus Jason. Okay, uh, just because you're invited doesn't mean you're welcome. Um, Add Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Bowen alone. Um, is oh, it um, Candyman? No. Is it Poltergeist? Poultry guys? No, it's not poultry guys. Um, it's. Oh, uh, I know. It's um, directed by. Um, Key, Key and Peel guy. Oh, well done, Ozzy. It is Get oh. Out. Ah, oh, well Ozzy. done. Man. Nice. Uh, okay, so. I've heard before. <laughs> it's on uh, Amazon. Evil part. runs yeah. in the family. 
Uh, bam. Bam. Godfather Part Two. <laughs> it's the, it's a director who's made two films, which I would say are absolute fucking trash. But Gav loves them. That, that could be anyone. That covers a lot of ground. Yeah, that but could he's be literally anybody. only made two <laughs> films, I think. Evil ones in the fam. Um, is uh, that like a? Is that like a clue? It is a pretty big clue. We we put one of them on trial about a month or two ago. He took about John Carpenter here. No, he's made more than two films last time I checked. Well, yeah, that's why I thought you were just some underhanded, backhanded comments. Okay, well, none of you are going to get it, so you all failed. It's hereditary. Oh, yeah. Okay, last but not least, sometimes dead is better. Bam, bam. Pet Best cemetery. film that we've ever put on trial. <laughs> with, with some of the most compelling acting. father acting. <laughs> Necrophiliac. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll end it there. Thanks, Ozzy. Um, right, yeah, thanks. thanks a lot. I'm just going to say all of you are losers in that quiz. <laughs> can we all agree that the biggest loser was Ozzy? Yeah, uh, it's always me. I'm always the loser. Right. Um, oh, difficult one, to be honest. Pretty difficult one. Um, Straight out the gate, Joel was making some really valid points. Um, yeah, I, I, the thing is, is that level, like, well, but both Joel and Dave made some really valid points. That he, this is a Guillermo del Toro film, you know what you're gonna get, you know, you know, you're gonna sign up for not necessarily shit your pants terror, but sort of unnerving, creepy, but visually pleasing film. And uh, yeah, I, it's, Dave said it's more like Turn of the Screw. That's sort of like kind of classic gothic horror type tale. Joel said it's got loads of great ingredients, great costumes, sets, music, makeup. And maybe if the script is that bad, as Alex and Austin made, made out, maybe all those other ingredients cover up for it. But then, well, Austin and Alex said, said it, you know, it is very pretty. They can't deny that, you know, the... The makeup and the you know the set and the costumes are all excellent, but it's very boring, you know. And once you get past all of the bells and whistles, it is quite a boring film. Um, I think everybody agreed that the performances were good or decent at least, but the main issue was that they're not really given that much to work with. Um, Dave and Joel said that oh yeah, that they sort of like kind of bring the best out of the script. Alex and Austin said that there isn't a script to have the best brought out of it. Um, so yeah, it is. It is a, a tough one. It's essentially do a one like a really sort of like gothic horror stylish film, or do a want sort of something that's just like style over substance. It's it's a tough one to say. I think altogether, um, I'm going to put this one on the hit list. Um, I think. I think generally you've been had. I think there, buddy. I was gonna say I think it's one of those ones where like you know what you're gonna get going into it. You know, with Guillermo del Toro, it's gonna be very sort of visually pleasing. There's gonna be a lot of good performances in it. The makeup, the music, the costumes, everything is gonna be on point. Um, so maybe you can kind of look past some of the uh, flaws in the script and the performances. Alex is shaking his head furiously at me no dis disappointed in you to be honest okay uh, right <laughs> well let's Start find some honest side, opinions <laughs> i think i think we can kind of gauge uh alex where you're at right now i think you 100 <laughs> percent believe everything that you said yeah Is that it, true? yeah it's it's deeply dull film i it's one of a few for the podcast where i've i've felt compelled to skip through certain scenes where i was just like i know I know exactly where this is going. I know exactly where this is going and I cannot waste any more time. So I had to, I went back every now and again if I felt I'd skip too much, but yeah, it, it was so <laughs> dull to watch that really? it was, yeah, just grind. It was a grind from about 20 minutes in. And Ozzy, did you, did you agree? Same, same. We uh, started watching it last night and uh, yeah, I had to finish watching it throughout the day. Um, I, I couldn't do it in one scene. It's just boring. Like it's very pretty though. Like some of the scenes are great, and I think you know you, you like it. The costumes are great, but it's it's not going on the hit list. When you come back to tell us whether it's on the on the right list, you're going to tell us it's the wrong list. And Dave, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> 
Please I don't tell dislike me you it. Went lying. <laughs> no, I, I don't dislike it. I, I may have overplayed certain bits. It is a flawed film. It's probably, I would say, it's definitely one of the weakest entries from Del Toro. But then look at the success. Oh, you're going to say for the hit list. <laughs> <laughs> That's another it's, crowded it's, field. It's not even in the top ten weakest entries on the hit list. Let me tell you. No, I think it's it's one of Del Toro's weaker films. But then look at the success that Del Toro. So even in his early days, he made some classics. You know, he's made some great films. So to say this is a weaker one isn't that much of an insult. It's it's got its flaws, but overall, I think it's in the right place. I think it's got enough going for it to pull it out of the mire. I really do. I think it was fine. Um, not going to set the world ablaze, but this is a, a decent enough film. Okay. And yeah, the real question, the burning question here is, is Joel, because usually what we do is we all pick a film that we like, that we think the others might not like. But Joel, I think yours is more of a sort of, you picked it because it was a very divisive film. So uh, do you, how do you feel? Do you, do you side with Alex or Dave? Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched this about, um, you know, four years ago or something, I didn't get to the end of it. Like I did turn it off, but this time when I watched it, you know, to review it for this podcast, you kind of have to stick with it. I think it's a little bit slow to start with, kind of like there's a lot of scene setting and that type of stuff at the start. You know, I think Alex and Ozzy mentioned there's like a, a kind of an overly long period in, I think it's New York at the start of the film. And if you get through that and get to the bit of Crimson Peak, like I, I quite enjoyed it from then onwards. And as Dave said, like, you know, visually, it's probably one of the best, like, horror films I've seen. I just think that the style and that type of thing is just so different from what you'd expect. Um, you know, we're so used to these days, like, haunted house tales, you know, possessed kids. And a lot of them, if you think about it, are all set in, in modern times now. Um, th there are very few kind of gothic mm. horror tales. And, you know, I think even two years ago, I did... Uh, woman in black it, you know i think i'm just drawn to that kind of style it's just something that i like looking at you know essentially elizabethan um, fetish. yeah elizabethan fetish yeah i might look that up later um but uh yeah it, it as you know again i, I agree with dave and that it's not going to set the world i like but i do think you know everyone should give it at least a watch and see if you like it because I, I think you know this podcast pretty much represents society overall on this <laughs> in that you know uh, you can, you can ask, the <laughs> you can ask right. four people and two will say they don't like it and two will say they like it you know it's that type of film so okay um, go with that yeah. i i would say i think del toro like screwed the pooch a bit on it and i think he fucked the budget massively like you know that first there's a lot of it very dirty sorry i didn't mean to i didn't mean to at all i meant to get the pooch and then fuck the budget don't judge me ozzy after what you started this episode and then he fingered the soundtrack what was the second one the budget yeah, I think he's the budget. Maybe you should just leave that one there, Bruce. No, I'm gonna carry on. I, I, I do think he like someone someone went up to Del Toro and was like, Do you do know you're not making like a like a period like costume drama, right? And you're meant to be making a horror film. That's what the money you've been given for. And he was like, Oh shit. So he went and made a set and went filmed the rest of it. Like the the first part of the film that Joel was talking about is just just seems so disjointed to, to the rest of it. Okay, uh, right, well, let's see what everybody else thought. So higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which is Under the Skin, which scored a whopping 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Higher or lower? Lower. 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 Everyone says lower. Mid-70s, yeah. maybe? Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much Bob on, 73. Um, uh, general tomato meter audience rating a bit lower 55 percent but i think that was the exact same for under the skin as well so it's probably more critically well received than they are by the audience um okay so yeah i at the weekend asked uh, our friends and followers which list they think that um with the whatever we just put on trial crimson peak which list that should be placed on and they said 67% of them said that it should be placed on the hit list. So, yeah, not too far off the Rotten Tomatoes. It, it always seems to be the way, doesn't it? It's always not too far off what it is on Rotten Tomatoes as well. So I think we've got a good gauge 
Maybe I John's think... right. Maybe we genuinely do represent all of society. Maybe with, we our, do. with us and our fans. Yes. Yeah. Five middle class white guys <laughs> from the really, same really part so... of the country. Yeah, yeah. We, feel cool. we feel as though we're representative of the entire <laughs> the entirety of society. So I'm going to uh, quickly move on to uh, our caption contest. Joel, what happens with this? Um, so you do whatever you can do in under two minutes. You just lazily find the, the first picture you can find. You ask people to put in some effort and think of a funny caption, but really you don't care what they type because you just read it out anyway. And then you send them a photo. <laughs> These get better every week. <laughs> yes, well done, Joel. Okay, so you guys are going to pick the funniest caption. Uh, um, so the the picture itself is uh, Mia. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this because I'll just end up butchering her name, whatever Joel said before. Uh, she stood with a candlestick uh, next to a door, and there seems to be a red-faced ghost trying to squeeze through the door. Uh, and his eyes are bulging out. So you guys are just going to pick a funniest one out of number one. When Darth Maul has a crush on you. <laughs> uh, number two. Hey, I hope you're not using the toilet. It's broken. Him. Uh, no, I was just shaving. I think that's a quote from Dumb and Dumber. Is it? Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is is that the same person who always... It is, yeah. He's the, yeah, the we, one who uh, always does a, <laughs> yeah, he always does a reference to a film, but we never get it. So I, I think... That's Dumb and Dumber. Um, so apologies, Wolfie. Um, next one. I must talk to you about Scientology. If I convert just one more, I get to meet Tom. <laughs> um, I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Uh, candy Graham for Candy... I'm sorry, Candy Graham from a Candy Man. Uh, next one. My snack's creeping when they know I'm trying to diet. <laughs> uh, the last one. I know this is terribly awkward, but did you bring the TP? Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, American uh, for toilet paper. Uh, so yeah, that was like some type of joke or something. Uh, it could be. Um, so uh, well, I mean, over here it's essentially a form of currency. Worldwide now. So so yeah, what do you reckon? I'm going to go for my snacks are creeping. Scientology for me. Scientology, Scientology for me. me. Sorry, Joe. All right. Well done to our good friend and follower, Ryan L. Terry. You have just won yourself a flippity freddo. <laughs> right. Our next film has, uh, it hasn't been picked out of the Hazard Random Hazard because it's a continuation of our Halloween Horror Month. Oh, piss. I don't even know why I bother. It's always on. Here we go. You ready? I think that's probably what people think. Every time they listen to one of our episodes, really. Yeah. <laughs> I tune into these guys for some insightful horror to, commentary. Uh, we always end up putting <laughs> average or shit films everywhere. Right, okay. So talking about average and shit films, it's Austin's pick. Yeah. And <laughs> he has picked... I have picked the most popular movie available as of right now. And is what is that? Far, it's probably the most watched Netflix movie going, and it is Hoobie Halloween. <laughs> and why? And I think it's going to be why because I think we need a little bit of levity in the Halloween Horror Month uh, effort, and who else to bring that but Adam Sandler, the king of comedy himself? <laughs> who else? Who else? <laughs> I, uh, I ask who else. Right. So, all, okay. Well, Austin is obviously going to be defending the film. Uh, now, all the rest, of, the rest of the roles have been picked at random. Uh, in co-defense is going to be me. Uh, so well done, Austin. What a great pick. Um, <laughs> prosecution is going to be Dave and Alex, and the judge is going to be Joel. Um, oh, so, God wants a judge, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. If you liked the episode, please remember, like, share, and subscribe. And why not give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? Check us out on Twitter, at Film Charles, and on Instagram, YouTube and Facebook films on trial. So that is it. That uh, Crimson Peak is a hit and we are going to be directly in your ears next week with some more spooky shenanigans with Hubie Halloween. Goodbye. <laughs>